A couple of months ago, I was uh, having a, an email conversation with our finance director, Matt, and our associate pastor, Brandon. And so we had this email conversation going back and forth where Matt sent us an article about what is true blessing. And so we had this conversation going back and forth about, you know, what does it mean to be blessed in America? And, and what is Jesus's definition of blessing? And what is Jesus's definition of being blessed? And so we had this conversation going back and forth. And, and if you were to look at GFCC as a church, you would think, man, it, this is a really... It's a really blessed church. We've, we've pretty much tripled in size in the last six years or so, attendance-wise. Our, our offerings are up, and uh, we've baptized a ton of people over the last six years. Uh, we've, uh, we had 50 baptisms last year. We have, we've had about 27, 28 baptisms this year, and, and it's just incredible what God is doing here. And, and it, from the outside, you would look and say, man, GFCC is a really blessed church. But based on whose definition? Based on what? Because if you were to ask a, a fellow Christian, maybe living in China, what does it look like to be blessed as a Christian? They might have a different definition than we have. Or what, were, what would you do if you were to ask a, a young man living in a Muslim country? If you were to ask a young man living in, in, a, in a country where it's, it may be illegal to be a Christian, what is your definition of being blessed? What does that look like for you? Or if you were to ask a church in Africa that meets out in the savannah, um, that actually, you know, it really does look like this. You know, where they may not even have a church building. They may walk miles and miles and miles to, to get to church. And you ask them their definition of blessing and what does it mean to be blessed? Well, their definition may look a whole lot different than, than our definition here in America. And it got me wondering, you know, what is Jesus' definition of being blessed? What is Jesus' definition of blessing or happiness? And I thought to myself, this is something that as a congregation I think we need to explore. And so I, I decided uh, several months back that we were going to do a series called Hashtag Blessed. This is the international sign for hashtag, by the way, as told by Jimmy Fallon and Justin Timberlake on a sketch they did on The Tonight Show a few, uh, several months back. But, uh, so what does it mean to be blessed? And the reason I call it hashtag blessed is because this is a very popular hashtag that you'll see on social media sites. For example, how many of you are on Instagram? Anybody take pictures of their food and post it to Instagram? Okay. It seems to be the only thing people do anymore, either grandkids or food. Um, but... Uh, I, I did a search on Instagram for the hashtag blessed. Now, the way a hashtag works is if you hashtag something in a post, you can click on it. It creates a hyperlink, and you can click on that hashtag, and it'll show you all the other posts that people have made using that hashtag. So, hashtag blessed. There were, as of yesterday, 111 million posts with the hashtag blessed in them. On Instagram, 111 million posts that said, I am hashtag blessed. Now, here's the thing. That can be anything. It can be any definition of blessing, right? It's like, hey, this is my new house, hashtag blessed. This is my new car, hashtag blessed. This is my new grandson, hashtag blessed. This is my pizza with extra pepperoni, hashtag blessed. Really, there's no like, official definition of what it means to be hashtag blessed. But I believe that Jesus has something to say about what it means to be blessed.
And we're going to take the next nine weeks and talk about that. Now, where are we going with this? Where is this coming from? It's coming from the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to study the Beatitudes for the next nine weeks. You may be wondering, well, what's a Beatitude? A Beatitude is a blessing that Jesus pronounced. That's all a Beatitude is. It is a blessing of Jesus. And in the Sermon on the Mount, the, the Sermon on the Mount is the longest recorded sermon of Jesus in the Gospels. Uh, a Gospel is a biography of Jesus. That's all a Gospel is. And uh, one of the Gospels, the very first Gospel in the New Testament is Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew was a follower of Jesus. He used to be a tax collector. And then Jesus called him to follow Jesus. Uh, and that's what Matthew did. He left his tax collector's booth and started following Jesus. Now, um, Matthew wrote a biography of Jesus uh, that we know as the book of Matthew. And the, the book of Matthew starts off with the birth narrative of, of how Jesus came about, how Jesus was born. Uh, and then in chapter 3, we see that Jesus gets baptized. Uh, at about the age of 30 is when Jesus was baptized by his relative John the baptizer. And then in Matthew chapter 4, uh, Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And the devil, Satan, tempted Jesus for 40 days, and Jesus resisted and overcame temptation by the power of the Holy Spirit, as well as he defeated the devil uh, and his uh, temptations. And then toward the end of Matthew 4, uh, we see that Jesus calls some men to follow him, specifically some fishermen, to be his followers. And then in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus goes up on a mountainside and begins to preach what we know as the longest recorded sermon of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. And so the first uh, part of the Sermon on the Mount are these Beatitudes. And like I said, there's nine of them. And they all begin with the, the same word, blessed and, or blessed. And we're going to take the next nine weeks and look at these nine blessings that Jesus pronounces known as the Beatitudes. So, um, and really, this is going to be kind of a different kind of a sermon series uh, in that we're only going to focus on one verse a week. Uh, we're going to use a lot of supporting scripture. So all the scriptures will be up on the screen. They'll also be in your app. If you haven't downloaded the GFCC app yet, I encourage you to grab the GFCC app on your smartphone or tablet. Go to your app store, whether it's the iTunes store or the Google Play store, and download. Uh, just search for GFCC, and you can download the app from there. You can take notes on the sermon as well as follow along with all the scripture passages. Uh, you can give uh, your tithes and offerings through the app. Uh, you get push notifications about stuff coming up here at GFCC. It's a great tool to have uh, to keep you in touch with all things GFCC. So if you've got your phone and you've got the app, go ahead and open it up. Click on sermon notes on the, on the homepage there, uh, and you can follow along. Uh, but like I said, all the scripture passages will also be up on the screen. And the very first one, uh, the very first beatitude uh, is, is kind of like a, a starting point for all people, for all believers in Jesus. And, and uh, each beatitude is, is two parts. Uh, there is a blessing. And then there is a reason for that blessing. And we'll get into that in just a second. But first I want to look at the very first beatitude. It's in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, and this is the first part. And it says, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, um, I want to teach you some Greek words today. Um, the New Testament was written in ancient Greek. And uh, there's two ancient Greek words I want to teach you today. The first one is makarios. And makarios literally means blessed or happy. And so we're talking about Jesus' definitions of blessings, Jesus' definitions of happiness. And he says, first of all, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit. Happy are the poor 
in spirit. Now, this word makarios um, is a different kind of a word uh, when it comes to what blessings truly are. In Jesus' day, back in ancient Greek times, uh, there were three groups of, I don't want to say people, uh, because... They weren't groups. There were three groups that were considered blessed. There were three groups that were considered makarios. Uh, the first was the gods of mythology. The second were the dead. And the third were the upper crust or the wealthy. So these are the ones who were considered blessed in ancient times. The gods were considered blessed. Uh, the dead were considered blessed as well as uh, the wealthier upper crust. And the reason is, is because they were free from the problems, worries, and cares of this life. That's why... They were considered blessed. The gods didn't have any worries because they were the gods. Uh, the dead didn't have any cares or problems because, well, they were dead. And, and the uh, wealthy and upper crust didn't have any worries, cares, or problems because they were you know, in charge. They had all the money and they were the wealthy. So the wealthy, the dead, and the gods were all considered blessed. Everybody else, not blessed. So if you weren't a God, and if you weren't dead, and if you weren't rich, you were not blessed. So that's the difference. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. Jesus had a different definition of blessed. And that's what we're going to talk about for nine weeks. And this first one, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now I want to teach you another Greek word, and that is the word patakos. Now, the word patakos is not uh, a Pizza Hut form of a taco, all right? You know how, like, they have the calzone and they call it the pizzone? This is not a pataco, like uh, something that you would eat. No, patakos literally means uh, uh, someone who is begging or a beggar. Uh, it means uh, destitute or powerless or helpless. That's what this word patakos means. It comes from the ancient Greek word pataso, which means to crouch. So it means to have, like, a humble position, a, a lowly position. And that's what Jesus says is that the gods are not truly blessed and the dead are not truly blessed and the wealthy are not truly blessed. It is those who are patakos in spirit. The makarios are the patakos in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who are spiritually destitute. Those who are spiritually powerless. Those who realize their spiritual helplessness. Those are the ones who are truly blessed. And the New Testament bears this out, that everybody, in reality, everyone is spiritually bankrupt. I want to show you a passage from Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 12. And, and Paul is talking about everybody, how we're all sinners. He says, what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? He's talking about the Jews. He says, not at all, for we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is, who does good? No one who does good, not even one. And Paul is quoting from the Old Testament in Psalm chapter 14 and Psalm 53. Psalm 14 and Psalm 53, the first three verses both start the same way. And this is how it goes. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. All have turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even how many? Not 
Not even one. No one does the right thing. No one does good. And, and you know, here's the thing. You can watch the news, and I, I, I watch Channel 7 News. That's an endorsement. My dog, Alan Krzyzewski, my guy. Uh, but I watch Channel 7 News every night, just about. And I'm telling you, this is played out on the news every single night. There is no one who does good. No one who does what is right. Everyone is a sinner. And we're all in the same boat. We're all in the same sin boat. We're just rowing with different oars. Okay, we're all sinners. The only one who ever lived that was ever perfect was Jesus. Never sinned in any way. We'll talk about him in just a second. But when it comes to this idea of sin, we're all in the same boat. We're all sinners. Uh, Solomon said the same thing in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 20, when he wrote, Indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. No one. We're all sinners. A positive message. Way to go, Sean. Paul says the same thing in Romans 3. Later in Romans 3, chapter 20, uh, verses 21 through 23. He says, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. The whole Old Testament testifies to this. This righteousness, this right standing with God, is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. No matter what your gender no matter your economic status, no matter your age, no matter your position in life, your job, whether you're a pastor, a steel worker, a, a CEO, we're all sinners. Every single one of us is a sinner. And it would be real easy to stop there and just kind of hang our heads in shame and go, man, I'm just terrible i'm a horrible person i do the wrong things all the time and the bible even bears it out and says that i'm a sinner and, and, and i got no hope but that's not true just because you're a sinner doesn't mean you can't have hope because the second part of of the first beatitude is this says blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven now it's you're not blessed uh, the kingdom of heaven is not a reward for your spiritual poverty. No, the kingdom of heaven is the reason for your blessedness. The reason you are blessed is because when you realize that you are spiritually bankrupt, you are on the right path to the kingdom of heaven. You are on the right track to the kingdom of heaven. When you realize that you are spiritually destitute and spiritually powerless and spiritually bankrupt, that is when you know you are on the right track. When you realize, you know what, I don't have it all together. My life is not okay. And I am not okay. And, and that's when you're on the right track to the kingdom of heaven. When you realize, I'm not okay. And, and Paul says the same thing in Romans 3, 24 through 26. Because it says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by what? He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be, the, to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. When you put your faith and trust in Christ, God takes away your sins. We'll talk about that in just a second when we start talking about the step of faith that you may need to take today. But the fact is, 
is that God has made a way for us to be saved. He's made a way for salvation. He's made a way for forgiveness because he doesn't want to leave us in our sins. And like I said, we're all sinners, every single one of us. If you have a pulse, you're a sinner. If you, take, if you just breathed in a breath, you're a sinner. You, me, everybody, we're all sinners. And, and we never do the right thing. I mean, sometimes we get it right, but more often than not, we do the wrong things. And, and here's the thing is we may try and compare ourselves to someone else. We may try to say, well, at least I'm not as bad as that person. Or at least I'm not as bad as those people. Well, they're not the ones you're going to be judged by. They're not the standard to which you are held. Let's talk about that for a second. If, if you uh, are wondering, you know, well, what do I do with this? I mean, how do I respond to this? I mean, the fact that I'm a sinner, you know, or, or maybe you're thinking, I'm, I'm not that bad. I'm, I'm really not that bad. Well, here's your first step. The first thing you got to do is, is you do, you need to admit the fact that you are a sinner. You need to admit the fact that you are a sinner. Well, Sean, sinner, you know, that's such a, a harsh word. Am I really a sinner? Yeah. Me too. Uh, we're all sinners. I, I said it before, I'm going to say it again. We're all sinners. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, he's a sinner, she's a sinner. Wouldn't you like to be a sinner too? Some Dr. Pepper fans. Okay, all right. No, we're all sinners. And here's the thing, it's like, you may, like I said, you may say, but I'm not as bad as those people, I'm not as bad. I've never, anybody? Anybody? What do we always say? I've never, I hope not. I've never killed anybody. That's not the standard, folks. I mean, good, but that's not the standard. I, I, I'm not like those people, or I'm not like those people. They're not the standard. Jesus is the standard, and he never sinned. He is the standard to which we are held. And guess what? We all fall short. That lie you told to your teacher in the seventh grade makes you a sinner. That time you cheated on that test in college makes you a sinner. And you're like, ha, never went to college. All right, fine. That thing you stole from the company that you, for whom you work makes you a sinner. Those thoughts you have about the, someone other than your spouse makes you a sinner. We're all sinners, folks. We're all in the same boat. We're just rowing with different oars. We're all sinners, every single one of us. And that is the first step you have. The first step to, to healing, the first step toward forgiveness, the first step toward the kingdom of heaven is admitting the fact that you're a sinner. Just saying, you know what? I'm, I'm a sinner. In fact, you can do that right now. Just say, say, I'm a sinner. Not that hard, is it? Accepting it, believing it, that may be a little bit harder. But we're all sinners, every single one of us. So that's where it starts, is I'm a sinner. Your next step is to take a step of faith towards salvation. Because God doesn't want to leave you in your sin. He doesn't want to just, you know, he, and he's not giving up on you. And he's not going to wash his hands of you. He's not going to say, well, you know what? You're too much of a sinner, and, and I, I don't want anything to do with you. That's not God. God wants you to take a step of faith towards salvation. And for some of you, that may be just that first step you just took of admitting the fact that you're a sinner. It's like, well, what do I do now? You need to believe in Jesus. Well, I don't know if I'm there yet. I don't know if I believe in Jesus yet. Keep coming to church then. 
Our mission here at GFCC is helping people follow Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus yet, we want to introduce you to him. Or if you do know him, we want to help you follow him better. Because Jesus makes life better. And we believe that here. And if you will keep coming, just, just keep coming, you're going to get to know Jesus a whole lot better. And he is going to change your life in the best way possible. And he is going to change your destiny in the best way possible. So keep coming. Even if you're like, oh, I don't know if I believe all this Jesus stuff yet. Just keep coming. Because through the love of God and the love of his people and the preaching and teaching of his word and through the fellowship and the study and through the worship, you are going to get to know Jesus so much better and you are going to fall in love with him because he is crazy about you. Absolutely. So keep coming. And, and maybe that's your step. That's your step of faith towards salvation is just to keep coming. Or maybe you know what? You're saying, you know, I do believe in Jesus, but what's my next step? Well, maybe your next step is a step of repentance. And that means to turn away from sin and turn to God for forgiveness. That's just a way of saying, you know what? I, I don't want to sin anymore. I want to I live for Jesus. And here's the thing. You're going to continue to sin. We all continue to sin. But when you take that step of faith towards salvation that begins with faith and repentance, and then you publicly acknowledge your faith uh, by uh, confessing Jesus as Savior and Lord and, and getting baptized, when you make that public profession of faith, God washes away all your sins and he forgives you from all your sins and, and you get a fresh start, a brand new start with Jesus. And so maybe that's your next step of faith is a step of repentance or a step of, a step of public acknowledgement, a step of baptism. Maybe that's your next step of faith towards salvation. And if you're not ready to make that yet, why don't we have a conversation? You can come up to me. Somebody came up to me after the first service and said, walk me through this whole baptism thing. I almost had tears in my eyes. Because of who it was. And maybe that's you. Maybe that's what you need to say. That's, you need to come up to me after church today and say, you know what, let's just walk me through what happens when I get baptized. And we'll start there. But take that step of faith. Don't just sit back and go, well, I'm too far gone and uh, I'm too messed up. You know, I've got to clean up my act before, before I, I've got to stop sinning before I can, you know. And, A, you, you can't clean up your act enough for God. And, and you can't stop sinning enough for God. You need his forgiveness. And he will forgive your sins, past, present, and future. Take that step of faith towards salvation. And you may be thinking, well, I've already done that. What, what about me? What is my next step of faith? Well, you're not going to like this. Because this is hard. This is harder than the first step. Don't condemn other sinners to hell when Jesus wants them in heaven. Oh, Sean. You had me up, up until that point. Mm, mm, mm. You see, we love that, don't we? We love that power over people. We love that, yeah, that holier-than-thou, self-righteous attitude. We love that of, at least I'm not like those people, or at least I'm not like them, and I don't sin that way. You know, my sin is not as bad as that, that sin. You know, God hates that sin. Guess what? God hates yours just as much. God hates your sin as much as he hates their sin. Well, God hates those people, right? Nope. Not at all. God loves the world and everyone in it. It says so right in my Bible. That God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have what? Everlasting life. 
God loves the world. You know, we just said John 3.16, right? Well, here's the thing. Nobody knows John 3.17. It was one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. And it says this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And so what Jesus is saying, what John is saying in that verse is that even Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. And guess what? If it's not the perfect son of God's job to judge the world, it's not your job either. Christians, my brothers and sisters, it's not our job to condemn the world. It is not our job to condemn to hell people that Jesus wants in heaven. And Jesus wants everyone in heaven. And so our job then is to do what God did. And that is to love the world. See, we can condemn people to are blue in the face. And we're not going to win any of them to heaven. We're not going to win them to heaven. But if we will love people the way Jesus loved people, and don't get me wrong, we're not soft on sin here. We will call sin, sin. Sin is sin. All right? Like I said, we're all in the same boat. Just rolling with different oars. Jesus makes the difference. Jesus changes everything. Jesus forgives sin, and Jesus forgives sinners. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, the sins you've committed, the sins that you're committing, the sin, you're, the, the, the sin of anger and hatred and temper that you're committing right now against the guy on stage, yeah, Jesus wants to forgive that too. But Sean, you don't know. No, I know. I know. We're all sinners. And Jesus wants to forgive us all. Because God loves us all. And so our job as Christians, our job as a church is to love everyone in Jesus' name because love changes lives. And when lives are changed, destinies are transformed. When people start following Jesus, they follow him not only in this life, but they follow him to life eternal. We're not going to shy away from God's word. We're not going to shy away from calling sin, sin. We're not going to shy away from, uh, you know, from what the Bible talks about. We're going we're to just call it what it is. But we're not going to leave it there. And we're not going to look down our noses at people. We're not going to point fingers at people in self-righteousness and a holier-than-thou attitude. We're going to come alongside people and say, God loves you. And he wants to change your life in the best way possible. And if you will put your faith and trust in him, he will change everything. And he does all the heavy lifting. He does all the hard work. We do all the sinning and Jesus does all the forgiving. And that's our message. Blessed are we who are poor in spirit. Blessed are we who are spiritually bankrupt. Because ours is the kingdom of heaven.